Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch, and welcome to Ovicast, the Chagas Sheep Podcast. Each episode will bring you less insights, advice, and technical updates for the sheep industry. With Joe's being weaned across the country, it provides farmers with an opportunity to check others from mistakes and other issues and remove these problem yolks from the flock. We're joined in this episode by Ryan Duffy, technical vet with HIPRA, discuss the implications of mistakes in yolks and offer some practical advice on the topic. Ryan explains the different types of mistakes at the core, the impact of other on teeth structure, and the need to call yolks exhibiting any signs of infection. We discuss the drying off process and the impact that that can have, and we move on to discuss mistakes that can occur during the dry period. Finishing up with Ryan offering his advice for flocks that encounter high incidence of mistakes annually. We start off, however, with Ryan discussing the impact that mistakes can have on both the EO and our progeny. You know, mistakes, it's massively underappreciated, it's massively underreported or even investigated in, in, in sheep flocks. And it can have massive, massive implications, as you said, about the actual animal health and welfare of the particular yews that have infections. But then as for the lambs, you know, the amount of milk that's being produced is down. The quality of the milk is down. The lamb growth rate is down. And, you know, not being smart, but at the end of the day, the, the money that's coming in, that's coming from lamb output per yew. So... If if the lamb growth rate is is being delayed, you know you're just you're you're ending up actually and you know paying more money to get to the end product. So yeah, it can it can massively impact a, a farm's profitability and hopefully not viability, but it certainly can impact dramatically in those in those sides of things. Yeah, probably one element we need to go into is the different types of mistakes we see in sheep rocks. We know there's a variation in incidents, but the general types we see it's not all just one type. Yeah, well, there, there's there's two main forms: this the clinical and the subclinical. Obviously, the subclinical stuff it's insidious; you can't see it. It has deleterious consequences in the flock mates. But it's the clinical stuff, the tip of the iceberg. Unfortunately, is what we see, and it's all that we see. Uh, and you know, there's there's a few forms of that. There's the really really quick form or paracute form, and you know, a lot of our listeners will will know it as blue bag but there's a few other colloquial names put on it, but blue bag's probably the most common. And that's where the, the, the actual mammary gland itself goes blue, goes green, goes black. Uh, and the sheep is extremely sick. She's toxemic. She's cold ears, cold feet, you name it. She won't eat. Uh, and frequently those ones day. If they don't day, the, the mammary gland will slack off. And next thing, this time of year, I haven't seen too much of it yet, but the flies will be coming. And if you're not covered for flies, if you don't have them dipped, if you don't have them uh, done for clostridial diseases, you're going to have a massive issue there. Then you have probably the more common form, which we would see more, would be the uh, the, the the acute form of it, where it's just you know swollen mammary gland, abnormal secretion, very similar to the sort of stuff that we would associate with dairy cows, you know, just cruddy, cruddy uh, mastitis. Uh, sometimes they are sick, but a lot of the time it's just noticed as either a big swollen bag, maybe hungry lambs, maybe just a, a yo that's walking around and she looks funny, she looks like she's lame. But 100% the most common form is the chronic form. Uh, and that's simply because of the level of monitoring that's done in sheep farms here in Ireland. Uh, you know, By the time that you find it, uh, the mastitis bug has been able to grab hold of the mammary gland of the sheep. And it's been in there for probably a number of months and you find these little balls I call them ping pong ball abscesses 
because uh, that's what they feel like. Sometimes you can even see it, particularly in older ewes. But yeah, it's those ping pong balls. I'd say every single sheep farmer would know exactly what I'm talking about whenever I talk about those balls. Uh, that you kind of brings section. So those lumps, like so, as you said, the pericute ones with the blue bag, unfortunately, they tend to take care of themselves in the flocks that they do, or at very least, they're very obvious. That chronic foam, you said like it's the tip of the iceberg. So the sheep flocks on Lake Adairy here, we're not handling them on a regular basis. We're not going through them. And it's a time of the year, Rain, where yos have been weaned or have already been weaned, and it's a good chance to maybe assess that. What is What are those ping pong balls? What is that lump? What's causing that in the mammary gland? Yeah, so I suppose even going back to what causes mastitis in sheep, you know, the vast majority of infections, granted, I'll put my hand up straight away, this isn't Irish data, but it's it's data from a variety of European countries, including the UK. The vast majority of infections are caused by a bacteria called Staphylococci. Uh, now, the one that the vast majority of people will know would be Staph aureus uh, or MRSA. That's an, a, a form of... Uh, Staph aureus, uh, and then the other form is coagulase negative staphylococci. Essentially, they're all just staphylococci. Now, the issue is they love the mammary gland. They're very, very easily adapted to it, so they can get in through the, the teeth canal, and they love to latch on. It's very, very hard to get them out whenever they latch on. Now, they end up producing a biofilm and producing abscesses. Now, the problem is then, because they've created these little abscesses, these abscesses will eventually grow into the ping pong balls that will be able to feel externally. But, you know, people often went to me whenever I was in practice looking for a miracle cure, even I'm from a sheep farm. You know, my father would, would ask, what do I give this yield that has mastitis? And, you know, whenever you see these lumps or feel these lumps, there's not a bloody chance. Like this is probably the big, the most common cause of mistakes in dairy cows. And so you know how frequently we inspect the dairy cows, as you said. We know how much more antibiotics we use in, in, in dairy cows. And it doesn't work. just doesn't work to treat these. You can't get antibiotics in through a biofilm. You can't get antibiotic in through the wall of a capsule. So if you're feeling those bumps, those lumps, it's too late. Now, what what do you do if you if you if you feel these lumps like if treating them isn't going to really work but what's the risk the problem is these staph bugs they spread contagiously they spread from an infected yo to uninfected yo's and you know yourself you're bringing in lovely clean yo lambs you want to try and get as many years out of them as possible and then slap you end up getting these infected because it can spread contagiously from yo to yo so that's the danger of these ones that have these hard lumps. It's not just a matter of, yeah, they're not going to have as much milk. Yes, the lambs probably aren't going to do as well. It's the fact that it's going to perpetuate a very vicious cycle within your flock unless you take action and do something with that. Let's just tease that one out a little bit more. Essentially, right, so we've ruled out the treatment option. When the lump is there, the lump is there. It's basically creating a reservoir then for the rest of the flock, right? And so culling is the option is the only real option that's there to deal with these. Yeah, like even there was with the, the dairy side of things, which I do a hell of a lot more work with, you know, you, you go in, you give these cows one chance, you give them uh, a dry cow tube, you give them 60 to 70 days of a dry period with an antibiotic in there, it's going to work for the vast majority of that period. And if they calve down with that high cell count, that's game over. 
she's not going to get dried off again. That's game over. Whereas whenever we take it to the sheep side of things, you know, by the time we're actually finding it and we're finding those balls, you know, it's been in there for a number of months. There's no way for us to define the duration that that infection has been in there. All we know is it's been in there for a very, very, very long time. Chances of curing is next to nil. So you're going to have to call these girls, unfortunately. Frequently, I'm sure you've got this question. The lumps will be of different sizes. Some are very, very obvious. As you said, you can nearly physically see them, or you can in some cases. Other mm-hmm. times, the lump is quite small. Can that change size depending on the stage of lactation or how long it is since that infection has um, taken hold? Yeah, it, it can change in size, but from my experience, it typically changes one way and one way only, and that is it gets bigger. Now, what happens there is that'll pop, and you'll see, you know, if you were to record these, cell count would go sky high. They'd be multimillionaires. And then after a few days, that would resolve. It'll go back down to where it normally is. But then another one will pop a few weeks later. And again, that corruption will come out and the cell count would go up. Now, the thing is, we're not measuring cell count in these sheep. But what that's doing is it's dramatically reducing the quality of the milk for the lambs, uh, dramatically reducing even, you know, how, how much the lambs want to drink. If it's very sore, those yews will not allow the lamb to suck. And next thing we have Miss Mother, which, you know, is, is the whole point that we don't want triplets and quadruplets. You know, we, do, we don't want to be mothering and fostering these, these lambs. So just let's fast forward that today if we're a wee bit lax this year there's one with a small lump you see young you always said she might have done a good job in this year's lambs we're going to carry her on she's a reservoir for infection next year but she's also a high risk you next year in terms of getting more acute mistakes but also the likelihood is as you indicated there her lambs will be hungry they're more likely to cross suckle to another you and spread that infection yeah so even if we think about what those abscesses do or that infection it actually causes scarring inside we can't see the scarring but if if you ever get to see a post-mortem being done on a sheep that has mastitis or had mastitis, it's just riddled with scar tissue. So if it's riddled with scar tissue, there's less tissue there that's going to be producing milk. So that's why a lot of people will even see, you know, I feel a lump now. What's the crack next spring? Oh, she ends up lambing down and she only has one bag. You know, the other one's producing next to nil. That's frequently what people will come across. You know, you, you might have a very small lump now, but by the time it's uh, it's lambing season next year, she has one bag and you have, you know, 1.9 to 2.1 lambs, which would all going well on that. Yo, sure, she can't feed that. She can't feed the two of them. So it, it's called hard. Right. So the lumps, that's a straightforward one. You call and you call hard on it. Does order and teeth structure have an impact on mistakes or the likelihood of getting mistakes yeah like it's you know we often talk about building resilience within our flocks uh, and you know high genetic merit flocks uh, you know do you have nice teeth and other structures uh, you know so it's it certainly is linked you know you, you know your stuff we even mentioned it there before we started Karen. you know if you have a big pendulous other you know it's getting covered in God knows what. It's typically more hairy, uh, you know, and it ends up getting a hell of a lot more mistakes. And it's usually those ones that we, we, you know, you visibly can see the lumps from 10 foot away. 
so there definitely is a component there of having a nice structured mammary gland, small teats uh, with nice teat ends on them as well. Uh, but again, it's a wee bit harder to actually, uh, it's a wee bit harder to actually assess those things in, in sheep. The one place where you would actually see it would be the legs of orf. Uh, where people actually visibly can see it, be it around their mouth, be it around their eyes, uh, be it around their feet. But frequently people will see the orf around, around the mammary gland. And like that does come around to the fact that lambs can spread these things. You know, if it's a, in a lamb's mouth, and he's, you know, sucking on, on the teats for a number, of, a, a number of times every single day. Naturally enough, that's going to start transmitting over to the, over to the teats. And, you know, if, if that's, starting to fest around the teat ends and by teat ends I mean the literal bottom of the teats where the milk comes out you know that natural defense that's that's massively compromised and the chances of bacteria getting in and those little lumps of orphan hiding in there no matter how much you disinfected those uh, you know those sort of orf lumps you're never going to disinfect it completely it's nearly like why why do we wear gloves why do vets wear gloves it's because we frequently everybody has these bugs on their hands maybe not orf but you know we have those bugs on our hands and we wear gloves to make sure we don't transmit them because uh, it's impossible to disinfect air hands let alone trying to disinfect an orf lesion and sure that's people know that because you, you can go in with your blue spray, you can go in with some form of disinfectant. A lot of the time, the ORF does not go away. So, well, handling it is something else to pay attention to. If you're in any doubt with it, it is another one of those risk factors for next year. Look, I, I, we spoke just a number of times about handling. At the point of weaning, is as good an opportunity as any to handle that bag or as close to that, I'm assuming, rain as possible. Oh, exactly. Like the. It, it, it's not within the literature, but anyone that has sheep will know that the, there's two main periods that you get mastitis or you'll see a lot more of it. And that is roughly around lambing and about a week or so after weaning. That's typically where, where we see a, a hell of a lot of that, those sort of issues. So inspecting around weaning is extremely important because, as we said, the lambs may be spreading this uh, to some extent, uh, depending on the flock. And depending on the, the the teat structure, as you were talking about, so if if you if you if you're not on top of it, you know this is an ideal opportunity to determine these lumps. Just look when you mentioned weaning, and maybe the time has passed for some flocks out there, but just that best practice around drying off. Some maybe take the option of housing them just for management reasons, maybe if nothing else. Is it potentially a little bit high risk for by going to a bare paddock outside? I know a lot are concerned about getting that reduction in nutrition, but is the environment just as big a risk by going indoors? Would the bare paddock outdoors be a better option for drying off? Uh, 100%. There's, there's no ambiguity about that. Be it, you know, rubber slats, plastic slats, be it just a concrete floor, be it a straw bedded area. But no, outside is the best here, 100%. It's nice and clean out there. Uh, as long as it's bare and it allows the shutdown of production, that's the place for them, 100%, particularly if it's dry enough weather uh, and it's not overly dirty. At the end of the day, you put animals inside, be that cattle, be it goats, be it sheep, be it anything. Bacteria love damp, dark, dirty environments. And unfortunately, that's where we, as vets, see a lot of issues like even there 
buzzword now at the minute is blanket dry cow therapy and how we have to move to selective dry cow therapy. It's not the practice which is the issue. It can be an issue with hygiene in some farms, but it's the actual fact that we're putting animals inside. You know, we can't keep up with the amount of feces that they produce, the amount of urine that they produce. So being inside, it's a perfect environment for, for, for these sort of bugs. We often aspire for a clean, dry lay, but there's no way that you can keep uh, the bacteria cold, hungry, and thirsty, which is essentially what we need to do whenever animals are inside. There's no way. So outdoors, dilution has a big impact on us. Look, just to fast forward a wee bit from it, but right, we talk about handling now. Again, prior to joining is another key time to handle. Even after that, the instance of dry mistakes, I'm assuming some of that maybe is undiagnosed or ones we may have missed, but is there a case that you can get a little bit of dry mistakes in that period leading up to Tuppen or even after that leading up to Lamin? Oh, of course. Of course, as I said, the vast majority would be around lambing and post weaning, but you certainly do see a hell of a lot of uh, dry mastitis in yos, probably more than we do in cattle at the present moment because we are going in with blanket dry cow therapy in the vast majority of, of herds. But like, there's, there's, there's no necessary defined thing that says this cannot happen in sheep. 100% it does. And like even there, you know, we're talking about you know, the new, we were talking about the nutritional side of things and, you know, sheep, it's absolutely important that, you know, the, the nutrition uh, is managed at all stages of the productive cycle because if it's not, you will see more infections getting in. So be that around mating and pre-topping, be it around just dealing with the pregnancy, the lactation or post-weaning. If the nutrition isn't right, it's going to dramatically impact your, your enterprise, let alone on a mastitis front. It's going to dramatically uh, Im, I, I, impact on your conception rate, your ovulation rates, uh, your pregnancy rates, uh, even the amount of milk that's being produced. So 100%, you know, we, we have to kind of get a little bit better looking at this from a holistic all year round approach as opposed to focusing in on, on the fine period. Unless, of course, you have those issues in your flock at the fine periods and it's a time to have a conversation with your chagas advisor and your vet it's if in, in ireland is a bit of a minefield because you know we're not finding it a lot of the time uh, and subclinical infections are probably making up 70 80 percent of the mistatus uh, so we really are only seeing the tip of the iceberg and even at that as you said Karen, we're seeing an even smaller proportion of the tip of the iceberg because the amount of times we inspect them and by the time we inspect them it's these horrible abscesses that unfortunately will not cure look rain i doubt that we can state that there will be variation among flocks and indeed among years depending on what the challenges were like but for flocks that have a really high instance of it is there anything they can do or it probably is something they need to tackle a bit more and look at the whole farm yeah like i, I would never say that there's a silver bullet because there's not uh, but it would be a time to get, uh, as I said, a Chagas advisor in, uh, any other form of agricultural advisor, your vet. There needs to be some form of audit to identify the bottleneck on your particular farm because every single person has a different story to tell. Every single farm does. Every flock does. Uh, but like focusing on the, the nutritional side of things is key. Focusing on uh, environmental deficiencies that you may have uh, is absolutely key, particularly when we house them. Uh, for for winter and listen there, there there's there's a vaccine out there as well 
uh, called Fimco uh, for, for for mastitis caused by Staphylococci. Again, that's that's uh, that's another option. Uh, but ultimately, you know, if you have these lumps, you're going to have to call. You're going to have to focus in on a higher replacement rate, get more ULAMs in. Uh, but once you have these lumps, there's there's you know, if you do not address that vicious cycle. Ultimately, it's just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And ultimately, it gets worse. You know, you might be at 60% now. You'll be at 70% then in a year's time. You'll be up to 85% in two, three years' time. You know, so we have to address that by by voluntary culling. And now's the time to deal with that issue. Ryan, great having you on today. Really appreciate that. It was very insightful. Thanks again for your time. Thanks for having me here. Okay, we're going to leave it there for this episode. Unfortunately, mastitis is a problem we encounter in every flock. As Ryan has indicated, now is the time to address some of those issues. Check others carefully, remove any signs of infection, reduce that reservoir of infection, and hopefully you'll see an improvement in the flock next year. And again, where in doubt, don't be afraid to seek advice from your advisor or your vet to look at what are the issues within your flock that may be leading to a higher instance of it. That's it for me for this episode. Again, for any updates on sheep program, keep an eye on our Twitter page at Jogger Sheep. I'm Kieran Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and get notified of any new episodes.